0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com.
1: Thank you for listening. Good morning. This is the Surveyor's Hour on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. I'm a land surveyor and attorney at law. We'll spend the next hour talking about uh, land surveying and land surveyors, all things surveying. As always, your questions and comments are welcome. You can send them to Jeff at AmericasWebRadio.com. You can find out more about me at my personal website, www.lucasandcompany.com. Check out our resources tab for some free resources. Okay, I'm going to apologize in advance. I've got uh, some sort of uh, seasonal uh, allergy going on. Um, No fever, not COVID-related, but some congestion. And I'm going to try my hardest not to cough into the microphone. Um. All right. Well, uh, we took Veterans Day off and uh, played something from the archives. And I had an issue last week. Uh, I could not make it to the show, so uh, we uh, played uh, something else from the archives. So uh, anyway, I'm with you now uh, here live. I'm glad to be back. Uh, it's been uh, three weeks now. So um, we're gonna get into a another case here today. Uh, it's called uh it's uh, cited as uh, larson l-a-r-s-e-n versus richardson this is the um a montana supreme court case uh from 2011 I, I haven't mentioned this before i mean to mention it every time if um if you're listening to this and you want to um you know find these cases which i uh, i do encourage that you find these cases and uh, read them for yourself, you can um, cert- simply um, put in that citation, Larson, um, into into Google or possibly Google Scholar or it, really um, any, any sort of uh, search engine that you have on your uh, computer, and uh, you will more than likely be able to pull this case up. So that's uh, Larson, L-A-R-S-E-N versus Richardson, and it's Montana Supreme Court 2011, relatively recent case. Uh, this is a good case. It has to do with um, this case is important for uh, a number of reasons. It's a retracement case, which, of course, we need to, um, as, as surveyors, we need to be uh, up on uh, what the courts have to say about uh, retracement surveying. And it's also uh, delves into aspects of uh, expert witness testimony, uh, some do's and don'ts. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have a webinar coming up uh, on the 30th of September, where I will be presenting um, an hour-long webinar for the New, Ju- New Jersey Society of Professional Surveyors uh, on just that, expert witness um, do's and don'ts. And the, this case is uh, one of the, the, the one of the cases that we'll highlight when we do that program. So, uh, if you are with the New Jersey Society, or uh, you just want to uh, come in on that webcast, uh, that that webinar, uh, you can contact the New Jersey Association of Surveyors and, and get plugged in. All right. Well, while I was um, uh, reviewing this case and what I was going to talk about relative to the case this is this is one that we covered in uh one of my news monthly newsletters I don't know really which one I didn't look that up to see which one but um uh which letter uh, we uh, covered this case in but uh I um, if if you've seen any of our cases that we present uh, for the newsletter um we we put headnotes in there. Now, um, what are headnotes? Well, um, in law school, we called it the black-letter law. Uh, you'll have a case. We've discussed this before. You'll have a case. It'll set out a fact scenario, and then there'll be some sort of discussion about those facts. And these cases are, of course, are appellate court opinions. So there was a trial. There was a trial that took place, and there was a judgment. Uh, and then uh, somebody appealed the case and it goes up on appeal so now you're at the appellate court level and in this case it's the Montana Supreme Court the ultimate appellate court uh, in Montana and so uh, what the, the court does in the opinion uh, what the Supreme Court did in this one and other appellate courts do is they they sort of lay out what the facts were that were established at the trial and then they go into an analysis of the uh, of the uh, trial court's judgment. Uh, of course, uh, whoever appeals uh, when they uh, when they appeal up to uh, the higher courts, uh, they have to assign some errors to the judgment that happened at the trial court. So the the, the court will address what these charges of of error were. Uh, they'll talk about a standard of review, what what um, how they're supposed to review trial court opinions trial court judgments, uh they'll have an analysis. And then what they'll do with they'll they'll take those facts and they will determine what the law has to say about those facts. And uh that's that's where if you're reading an opinion you'll see the citations uh in the opinion to other court cases. Um that's that's what they call precedents. Uh that they're they go but they the appellate court will go to these Precedent-setting cases uh, that um, that ruled on very similar fact situations, and so they'll pronounce what the law is. And then in law school, we call that black letter law. Um, if you have, um, if you've ever been done Westlaw, uh, their uh, their uh, legal research engine, um, they uh, they do certain things uh, with these opinions. And one of the things they do is they do head notes or they do. Um, keynotes um, where they they go into the case, they go into the opinion, they pull out the black letter of law, and they highlight it. They put it at the they call it keynotes, I believe, for Westlaw. They put it at the top of the opinion. So that's editorial stuff that they add. That's um, that's copyright material that Westlaw adds. Lexis has a similar uh, does a similar thing. Uh, these are premium um, legal research engines. Lexus has, uh, something called, I can't I think they call it headnotes uh, or something to that effect. They go into the case, they dig out the black letter law and, uh, for their subscribers and they put it at the top of the case. And so that's very convenient when you're doing legal research. It's very convenient. Um, and that's why Westlaw and Lexus and maybe some others do, uh, do something similar. I don't know. I have had a Westlaw account and I have had a Lexis account in the past and it's very um, it's very convenient to if you're doing research and you're looking for um, for a case on certain uh, legal concepts uh, you can quickly go um, to the to an opinion and you can read through the head notes and you'll see what the law is in the case and then all you have to do is find out if you've got a, a an interesting fact scenario or a fact scenario similar to a scenario you may be facing now for me I'm looking for fact scenarios that I can uh, write about or present about that's why we're going over this case because it has some interesting uh an interesting fact scenario um, but uh so for our subscribers, what we do is we do the same basically the same thing Lexis and Westlaw does we uh dig into the case we find the black letter law and we highlight that and we call it the Lucas letter head notes now as i was getting ready to uh, again as i was reviewing this case for what we might talk about here today i started reading through the head notes just to refresh my memory on uh, what this case was all about so the head notes are not fa- they're not the facts of the case the head notes are the law that we dig out of the case and i thought well you know what <clears throat> What we need to do maybe here in reviewing this case something a little different. Uh, we, we haven't done this with the other cases we've gone through, but just read the headnotes. Let's just read the headnotes and see what the law is that's going to be discussed in this case, and then we'll go to the facts scenario, and uh, it might make a little more sense that way. <clears throat> if we know what the law is that we're looking at, and then we go read the facts as we're reading the facts in the case, you can um, you already know what the law, what the court has said. The law is on the case that might help um, give you some in into uh, which of the two surveyors is heading in the right direction. And, and usually there's two surveyors. And the bottom line on uh, on these trials, uh, boundary dispute cases in in particular. Um, there will usually, not always, and you don't have to have two surveyors, but there will usually be two surveyors, and they're going to have differing opinions. If they didn't have differing opinions, you probably don't have a case. If both of the surveyors are agreeing uh, as to where the boundary lines are, then you know, by and large or generally speaking, um, there's, you know, what are you going to go in and argue about? Um, or... If two surveyors agree, uh, one, <clears throat> I've seen this before too, uh, the one side or the other doesn't like it that their surveyor agreed with the other surveyor, so they'll fire that surveyor and go find somebody who will give them the answer that they wanted to hear. So uh, you got that uh, as well. But anyway, let's, uh, <clears throat> so this is, um, Larson versus uh, Richardson. It's, um, by the time we put head notes in it and everything it's twenty six page opinion we're not we're not going through all of that um, but uh, we will uh, go through uh some of the head notes to see what what what's the law in this case what what are we going to be discussing in this case what what did the appellate court come up with as the law given the facts that we'll look at a little bit later and so this is the the uh, the appellate court speaking of course we review and this is the um, Montana Supreme Court we review factual findings of a trial court sitting without a jury to determine whether the findings are clearly erroneous that's the clearly erroneous standard of review a finding is clearly erroneous if it is not supported by substantial evidence all right so imagine an evidence scale we've talked about evidence before but this is a, you know this is interesting to know uh just how the appellate court is going to look at the trial court opinion or the trial court judgment. So if you had a scale from uh, uh, where the uh, vertical scale from zero at the bottom to 100% at the top, uh beyond all reasonable doubt would be up there close to 100%, and uh, a scintilla of evidence, hardly any evidence at all, would be down at the bottom of that scale uh, close to zero. And uh, somewhere in the middle, the greater weight of the evidence, the preponderance of the evidence, that's your that's your civil standard when you're in civil court. Beyond all reasonable doubt is your criminal standard in criminal court. So uh, <clears throat> somewhere in the middle, the greater weight, the 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 um, the um, preponderance of the evidence. That's that's somewhere in the middle. There a little above the middle. Um, That's your civil standard. Substantial evidence is somewhere between no evidence, a scintilla, zero, and the greater weight or 50%, 51% of the evidence. So somewhere between uh, a scintilla and a preponderance of the evidence. So that's what we're talking about here. All all you need, all the uh, appellate court needs to support the trial court's opinion is substantial evidence. If the trial court has misapprehended the effect of the evidence, or if a review of the record uh, leaves this court with a definite and firm conviction that a mistake was has been made. So substantial evidence is uh, less than a preponderance, more than a scintilla, but it's a low standard. It's a low standard for the trial court. So uh, one of the things I tell surveyors, if you're involved in a court case, anybody really involved in a court case, you want to win, at the trial court level you want to win at the trial court level because the the um... um... the um... um... requirement or the uh... the standard that the trial court is going to be looked at is uh... as long as there was substantial evidence that supported the finding then the, the trial court's going to be upheld um... <clears throat> Again, I'm, I'm trying my best not to cough into the microphone. But um, in determining whether substantial evidence supports trial court's finding, we review the evidence in light most favorable to the prevailing party. Okay, folks, we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll pick up uh, after this.
0: 0387 or go to quickstake.com that's q-u-i-k-s-t-a-k-e.com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for QuickStakes today
2: well we hope uh jeff gets over his uh sinus problems and i doesn't have to cough in the microphone too much but with that being said uh quick parker davis wanted me to uh Say a very special thanks to all of you that have listened to uh, Jeff, listened to the show, and uh, calling and asking for your samples and also ordering. Uh, they've had very good months lately, and it's all because of you, and we appreciate, or they wanted me to uh, pass on how much they appreciate uh, working with all of the surveyors that call in and get their quick stakes, and they're very popular marker they they sell uh, I, i couldn't even fathom how many markers they sell per month but uh they do appreciate it and just wanted me to give you a special thank you we'll be back with more of jeff lucas right after a couple of more messages ladies and gentlemen boys and girls of all ages i am roger b host of the locked and loaded show on America's Web Radio. Join
0: me live every Tuesday at 1500 for the best in gun news, gun products, and gun politics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, quick stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying quick stakes. Did you know that quick stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Steaks, your back-friendly steak. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back, folks. Okay, we were talking about the standard of review. Uh, um, uh, of the the appellate court uses uh, when there's a trial court judgment, and uh, the, the one thing I wanted you to see here is that um, uh, it's all it all leans in favor of the judge. Okay, it all leans in favor of the trial court judge uh, and and the prevailing party. So you've got an uphill struggle if you lose at the trial court level when it goes up on appeal. Trial courts get overturned. They do. But when it comes to, uh, if it's a, if it's a coin toss kind of a thing, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, uh, the, the talk court's gonna be upheld. And, and especially, uh, especially when it comes to the credibility of witnesses, so b- back to the Montana Supreme Court, furthermore, due regard must be given to the opportunity of the trial court to judge the credibility of the witnesses you can't you can't judge the credibility of the witnesses with a paper with a paper document up on appeal that's what the trial court does, or the jury sitting without a judge uh, uh, or the uh or the jury. Where if you got a judge and jury, then the jury is the find is what we call the finder of the facts or the trier of the facts. <laughs> it's the jury who will make the credibility um, uh, judgments. Uh, who's most credible? It, it's the job of the jury or the judge sitting without a jury. When the judge sits without a jury, the judge is is the, the lawgiver and the fact finder. Okay. If you have a jury, the jury is simply the fact finder. The judge will still give the jury what the law is uh, for them to go in and make a uh, make a decision uh, on guilt or innocence, or you know who who wins, plaintiff or defendant. So <clears throat> this is how the facts get established. It's it's all about credibility. So when you're when you're testifying, you got to keep that in mind. If you are an expert witness, it's all about credibility. Um... Two surveyors get up on the stand. If one seems more credible than the other one, even if the one who seems more credible is actually wrong, more than likely will be, um, will be the prevailing party, um, because, um, it, it's about credibility. Um, <clears throat> it is the province of the trial court to weigh the evidence and resolve any conflicts between the party's position. And this court, the appellate court, in this case, the Montana Supreme Court, will not second-guess the trial court's determination regarding the strength and weight of conflicting testimony. So, a lot of boundary dispute cases don't have juries for a number of reasons. Um, the the biggest reason probably is money, I would imagine, uh, because it costs money. Somebody's got to pay for the jury, so it costs money to have a jury in there. Another big reason um, I'm not saying one of these is, is more influential than the other one, but the, the, another big reason is a lot of times the attorneys don't think that the, uh, a jury is going to be able to wrap their wrap their brain around some of these esoteric surveying issues that we've been discussing now for half a year. <coughs> uh, some surveyors don't even understand surveying, okay? And when surveyors who don't understand surveying get up on the – uh uh, get up on the witness stand and start uh, and start uh, bloviating uh, nonsense. That just that just creates even more chaos. That just creates even more chaos and more confusion. And this this is why it is is my firm belief that most judges, most uh, in Alabama it would be our circuit court judges. Most judges, most circuit court judges don't want to have boundary dispute cases. They don't want to have to deal with it firsthand. I have seen a circuit court judge in the state of Alabama uh, dress down the attorneys who wanted to bring surveyors up on the stand and just say, basically, he wasn't going to have it. He wasn't going to have surveyors parading up there, um, uh, uh, spouting off nonsense. He'd obviously heard them before. So um, this but this is a great opportunity. This is also a great opportunity for the expert witness, for the surveyor who actually knows what they're talking about. But if you've been with us through any of these cases we've gone over already uh, Dowdell versus Cotum, uh Weber versus Kroger, or it was Kroger versus Weber—what um, <clears throat> are uh, couple, just name any of the ones we've already gone over, and um, the surveyors. Uh, many of the, not all of them, uh, but the, uh, many of the surveyors don't really have a clue as to what they're doing, especially when they go to court. They have no clue what they're doing. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Well, there it was. <coughs> so, um, but it's a great opportunity for the surveyor who does know what he's doing or what she is doing because what the judge is looking for, what the judge is looking for the expert surveyor uh, witness uh, to, to do, and uh, especially in a boundary dispute case is show the judge the way out of the case. show the judge how to get out of the case, and we'll talk about that more uh, a little bit later. All right, so where were we? so the the appellate court isn't going to isn't going to second guess the trial court's opinion, especially when they viewed when they watched the witnesses get up on the stand. They looked them in the eyeballs when they were hearing their testimony, and they made uh, judgment decisions. Now, here's where they will, the appellate court will look closely and determine uh, if the trial court got it wrong. Lastly, we review a trial court's conclusions of law de novo. Now, what does that mean? They look at it all uh, anew. All anew. They're gonna. They're not going to give. Any uh, necessarily any presumption of correctness. They're not going to give any presumption of correctness to a trial court's interpretation of the law, because that's what they do. That's what the appellate court does. That's what your supreme and your supreme court is the ultimate. In in most cases, uh, boundary dispute cases are not going to the United States Supreme Court. So I guess that the United States Supreme Court is the ultimate arbiter but the United States Supreme Court is a court of limited jurisdiction it has no jurisdiction over property boundary issues those are state issues your property boundary dispute is never going to go to the Supreme Court of the United States of America so right here uh, in this Montana case you are at the final arbiter the Supreme Court of the state of Montana is the final arbiter on boundary disputes in the state of Montana, because why? Why is the Supreme Court never going to hear this? Because there's 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 no um, they don't have jurisdiction over uh, over boundary disputes. There, there's nothing that they can. It's not it's not a constitutional issue, unless you turn it into a constitutional issue. It doesn't have to do with federal law. Uh, it generally, even if it had to do with the United States government, property law is determined by state law. Property rights are determined by state law. There would have to be, in order to get your boundary dispute case to the United States Supreme Court, there's going to have to be some some constitutional issue like you didn't get your due process of law or uh, uh, taking without just compensation or something along those lines, something that uh, creates a constitutional issue. But just run-of-the-mill boundary disputes. Uh, the final arbiter is your state Supreme Court. <clears throat> All right, let's continue. Uh, because they're going to tell us how to survey here in a minute, okay? Surveyors, uh, uh, and this is, it's so, it's so easy to get this information. I mean, it's become easier and easier as the, as the years go by uh, to find out what the courts, the courts are talking going to be talking to the surveyors, all you surveyors out there, the, this court is going to be talking to you here pretty soon. And ascertaining, the, right here, and ascertaining the true and correct boundaries of a parcel. Isn't that what we want to do? As retracement surveyors, isn't that what we want to do? To ascertain the true and correct boundaries of a parcel. Now, if you've been with me these past weeks and months, that's ascertaining the true and correct boundaries of a parcel means that you have an accurate survey of that property. And hopefully you have precise measurements to go along with it. An accurate survey is one where the true and correct boundaries of the parcel have been ascertained. That's an accurate survey. Why is that important? <clears throat> just go just go read your Alta standards and see why that's important. Okay, just go read your Alta standards. If, you, if you're wanting to know how important it is to be uh, a- accurate as well as precise. The surveyor is obligated to consider any and all evidence. This rule is inflexible. Okay, folks, we'll be back uh, after these messages.
0: Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden stake. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Stakes, your back-friendly stake. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, I am Roger B., host of the Locked and Loaded Show on America's Web Radio. Join me live every Tuesday at 1500 for the best in gun news, gun products, and gun politics.
2: McAllister's Auto Transport is a privately held company celebrating our
1: 75th anniversary this November, specializing in enclosed-only transportation to the OEM, personal snowbird market, and our favorite Market of all is the collector market. Give us a call at 800-748-3160, or you can reach us on the web at McCollisters.com and that's M-C-C-O-L-L-I-S-T-E-R-S.com. Large enough to handle all of your transportation needs, small enough to provide you the old-town, old-school service that you come to expect when you're moving your baby. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back folks. This is The Surveyors Hour. I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. Um I want to remind you to uh send us your comments. I'm I'm getting, you know, a few comments from you guys, but um um what, what I'd like to what I'd like to do is answer some questions you may have and actually bring it up on the show. Uh, as as part of um as part of the show. So if you have questions, concerns, comments, uh send them to me and uh we'll take them up um on the next show or you know after we receive them. All right, I want to go over that last black letter law head note if you will from the Montana Supreme Court. <clears throat> I want to make sure you heard this in ascertaining the true and correct boundaries of a parcel, the surveyor is obligated to consider any and all evidence. This rule is inflexible. What the court is telling you, the Montana court is saying here, is the surveyor must, you're obligated, you have to uh, look at any and all evidence. And the number one piece of evidence, the number one piece of evidence that surveyors regularly ignore as parole evidence I get it I know why you don't want to consider parole evidence okay I grew up in surveying in Florida as a party you know as uh, working in the field and then a party chief and and um, we avoided I call this person I call this person old-timer this is the guy who' the guy who is in the neighborhood, who knows everything about everybody uh, and everything about everything? And uh, they, when they see a surveyor come around, they uh, you know this retired geezer uh, from uh, from uh, Michigan uh, who worked for the D- Michigan DOT, um, you know, over a, a one summer knows everything about surveying, and he comes out there and he wants to talk to you and tell you all about it. Well, you know, as a as a, as a party chief um, working in the field, you know, we avoided that guy like the plague. I mean, we saw those old timers coming, in, and we got in the truck and took off if we could, because um, you know the guy's just going gonna to bend your ear for once, bend your ear for you know thirty. He doesn't have anything else to do. He wants to bend your ear for thirty minutes, forty-five minutes, an hour, uh, if you let him. But uh, that's a mistake. And I have come to find out because, uh, while maybe the mo- uh, most of what this- this guy has to say is- is- might be totally useless re- relative to the, uh, the survey of the property, but if he- if this person knows something about, uh, the boundaries in the community, uh, that's information that, uh, sh- does not need to be ignored because, um there- there are many, many instances um, where this is this is the testimony that comes to trial that we read about in these cases that actually determines where the boundary line is located on the ground and we've talked about the rules of evidence we talked about the hearsay rule you know hearsay is not admissible but one of the exceptions to the hearsay rule is whatever old- timer has to say about the boundaries and uh, this is uh, and another reason it's ignored by the surveyors because a lot of surveyors, uh, don't step foot out of the office. They're sitting in their office and they're expecting their party chiefs to go out there and gather, uh, gather physical evidence. And the party chiefs are avoiding, uh, old timer and don't really care what they have to say. But, um, old timer in many cases needs to be sought out. And matter of fact, old timer is going to be, uh, very key, uh, to the solution in this particular case. Okay? So now, look, uh, so it, in order to, uh, Determine, ascertain true and correct boundaries of a parcel. The surveyors obligated to consider any and all evidence. And I'm telling you, the biggest piece of evidence, most often ignored, is parole evidence of locals out there uh, in the neighborhood, on the ground, who knows something about the boundaries. Maybe they don't even live there anymore. Maybe, um, but maybe they're they're still available somehow. The attorneys find them. I can't give you a percentage. How many times? Uh, of all the cases I've read involving boundary determinations, literally thousands. I can't. I don't have a real. Good, I'm going to say, uh, it, maybe maybe 50 percent of the time. Maybe less. Maybe 50 percent of the time. Maybe something less. Uh, that these boundary uh, determinations are made <clears throat> by the testimony of uh of old timer or someone like old timer okay that and, and and here's the bottom line on boundary dispute cases um the judge only needs two people to make a boundary determination first of all the judge has to uh, the judge has to have subject matter jurisdiction in order to even listen to a boundary dispute case okay So the judge has to have subject matter jurisdiction, and then the judge, in order to make a boundary determination, judge can't just go out in the field to make a boundary determination. Number one, the judge has to have subject matter jurisdiction, and then the judge has to have in personum jurisdiction, personal jurisdiction over the plaintiff and the defendant. Then and only then can the judge make a boundary determination. Surveyors aren't limited by that. Surveyors can make boundary determinations by... In the words of the Montana Supreme Court, by considering any and all evidence. It's an inflexible rule. Right. So when the, uh, when the judge, uh, so all the judge needs is a plaintiff and a defendant. Now surveyors are deemed helpful. The attorneys like to hire them but to get a survey out there in front of the judge and okay, here's our opinion judge. Here's where we think the boundary it, line is located. And the other side, generally speaking, we'll get a competing survey if they're again if they're agreeing, we're probably never going to read about that case because it probably gets settled somehow. <clears throat> but the ones we read about there's generally boundary disputes there's generally two competing surveys this case is no different two competing surveys uh and if you might recall in um it was a Weber yeah, it was Weber versus Kroger I forgot if it's Kroger who sued or Weber. Anyway, Weber versus Kroger, we went over a few weeks ago. We only had one survey, uh, which was, um, uh, a, to- a total, a-, a total fiasco survey. It was, uh, the-, the surveyor couldn't even explain to the judge. That's why they lost. The surveyor could not explain retracement theory to the judge. Unbelievable. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, if a judge only needs a plaintiff and a defendant to make a boundary determination, what does that tell you about the importance of the landowners? What they have to say is, is must reading, is must, you must hear, especially if you have a dispute on your, or you think this thing is going to become disputed. You've got to know retracing the You've got to know. You, one of them's going to be your client. If this thing goes to court and you got a dispute, one of these people is going to be your client. The other person will be, um, you know, uh, uh, will, will also have an opinion. So what, what you're going to, and the judge wants to hear, it has to hear those opinions. Uh, you should know before this thing ever goes to trial what those opinions are. And so now, when I go out and do uh, retracement surveying. Uh, I actively look for people to talk to. Where in the early part of my career, I avoided them like the plague. Now, in this part of my career, uh, I actively seek them out because I want to know where they think the property lines are located. Because ultimately, the case might come down to what they think. Okay, next, a head note. The object of all rules for the establishment of boundaries. What? There's rules. For the establishment of boundaries? Yes, there's rules for the establishment of boundaries. The courts have been telling us about these rules for hundreds of years in this country and for centuries before that in uh, in England, uh, where we got our, our, our law from, the English common law. The object of all of the rules for the establishment of boundaries is to act is to locate is to ascertain excuse me the actual location of the boundary as made at the time what time when it was made when when the, <clears throat> when the boundary was first put on the ground and then subsequently became established we've talked about how boundary lines become established and as little little to do with the land surveyor. Boundary lines become established on the ground through the activity and inactivity of the landowners. Again, the most important people in any boundary dispute case, <clears throat> possibly uh, one of them may have the uh, the the actual knowledge of, or maybe both have the actual knowledge of where the boundary has become established on the ground and that uh, may ultimately be the most important piece of evidence. That's how boundaries get established, through the activity and inactivity of the landowner. As to boundary disputes, the primary purpose is to track the footsteps of the original surveyor to locate the survey as it was intended to be located on the ground by him. Again, we've talked about this. The surveyor, this original surveyor, actually establishes nothing. Uh, the original, but the, the reason why we the original surveyors to be honored is it because of what the surveyor did or did not do. That's obvious because we're supposed to honor the original surveyor even if the, the surveyor blundered. And why is that? Because of what happened subsequent to the original survey. When the original survey gets laid out on the ground and the monuments are put in place and then the people move in and glom onto those lines, glom onto those corners, go into reliance on those corners, that's how the boundaries become established. Although in the present case the deeds in section 13 properties were prepared without the benefit of a proper field survey, we conclude that the foregoing principles Nevertheless, applying determining the location of the boundaries described in those deeds. In other words, we didn't. We didn't have. This is often the case. This is often the case. The original lines weren't weren't necessarily laid down on the ground by, by an original quote unquote original surveyor. Sometimes the parties themselves put these lines on the ground. Okay, but still the the the, the, the principle is the same. Once the lines go on the ground and then reliance kicks in, they become established on the ground. And as a retracing surveyor, your only job is, it's often put in these terms, your only job is to follow in the footsteps of the original surveyor, to find where that original surveyor put the lines on the ground. But it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that, because there isn't always an original surveyor, but... All the boundaries have already become established on the ground. Generally speaking, all boundaries have become established on the ground. Uh, there will—that <clears throat> doesn't mean there are no conflicting boundaries, there, and there aren't. Uh, there, there are disagreements over boundaries because the cases are out there; they're, they're legion. But, by, but under the law, um, the ba- boundaries—every boundary has become established on the ground. Uh, and the, the proof for that is take any boundary dispute to court and you get a judge of subject matter jurisdiction and you have the party and gets in person of jurisdiction over the plaintiff and the defendant. They all come into court. How many boundary lines are you coming out with? You're going to come out with one boundary line where there were, a, there was a disputed boundary line. You're coming out with one. Even if it wasn't a disputed boundary line, you're coming out with one. That means that the law has provided uh, resources for finding where the boundary has become established on the ground. So every boundary in every state in the United States of America has become established on the ground under the law. It, if not, there would be, um, um, uh, well, I'm just, it, it, that is a fact. Everyone has become established or else the judge can't make a decision. Uh, and, and then it will become established through some sort of mediation or, uh, some sort of agreement. Primary purpose is to locate the survey as it was intended to be located. Alright, let's move on to our next, uh, to our next rule. The proper construction of a deed, for the proper construction of a deed, the circumstances under which it was made or to which re- it relates, including the situation of the subject of the deed and the parties to it may be shown so that the judge is placed in the position of those whose language the judge is to interpret. When a property description alludes to facts beyond the deed, parole evidence may be offered not to contradict the description but to locate the deed on the ground. Now we're getting to our rules of construction, which we have touched on in the past uh, on this program. Rules for construing deeds. If nothing else, the land surveyor should be uh, an expert in interpreting deed language. Now they're talking about the judge here. Judge putting himself uh, or herself in the position uh, in the position of uh, the parties at the time of the transaction. Well, they're talking about the, the surveyor there as well. You can't start a boundary survey. You can't start a retracement survey without first looking at the deed and and then uh, the rules of construct and when the the deed is uh, ambiguous more than one meaning doubtful not not uh, crystal clear uh, or there's uh, extrinsic evidence that comes into play that uh, that makes it doubtful even though it looks it appears on its face prima facie it appears to be uh, unambiguous <clears throat> then the surveyor has to put himself or herself in the position of a judge interpreting a deed because that's the only way you can move forward is you're going to have to interpret uh, this deed with uh, utilizing rules of construction all right folks I think we're coming up on a break here in just a few seconds we will be back on the other side
0: quick thanks O three eight seven, or go to quickstake.com that's dot com, and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today
2: whether well, cruising the strip at a 57 chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com.
0: Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have quick steaks? If not, demand that they start carrying quick steaks. Did you know that quick steaks are better for your back than your local chiropractor? Lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden steak. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick stakes, your back-friendly steak. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: The reason for uh, studying cases is to study factual situations that we might come up against uh, that are similar to what's written in the opinion, and then see what the law has to say about those uh, factual situations in order to Gain insight into correct practice, which is what, what it's all about. It's called practice for a reason. Okay, uh, we we continue to try to hone our skills as retracement surveying uh, surveyors, and uh, the best way to do that, uh, especially in the retracement arena, where um, um, where it's more important to be accurate than it is to be precise. More important to have an accurate survey than it is to be precisely in the wrong spot. Um, all right, so we were talking about the proper rules of construction uh, right before the break. Uh, is to put yourself. The courts telling us this uh, to um, uh, to put yourself in the circumstances that were uh, that were happening at the time that the conveyance was made. Now, what we're going to find out here. When we do get to the case and some of the facts of the case is that we're looking at, uh, early 1900 deeds. I think the oldest deed that we're looking at, uh, this is concerning, um, uh, deeds in, uh, for three properties that run along the same lines. And, uh, the, the, the oldest deed is 1910 deed and then the, uh, the youngest or the latest deed, uh, in consideration, 1943. So we're talking about <clears throat> taking ourselves back in time, as to uh, and, and we know there was not a survey in this case. The, the, the head notes have already told us that there was not a survey. There was a common grantor, and the common grantor most likely wrote the legal descriptions that we're going to be dealing with. So, um, so what they're telling us is we got uh, what the court is saying is in order to properly interpret uh, the construction of this deed. You've got to look at the circumstances under which it was made, which it relates, including the situation of the subject deed and the parties to it. Um, All right, moving on. Next, um, Next head note. When a surveyor is unable to follow the precise footsteps of his or her predecessor, then a surveyor must attempt to track the original surveyor's work with whatever recoverable evidence that exists. All right, so um, you're not always going to be able to find the original monuments. You're not always going to be able to find the search, uh, the footsteps. So, what do you do next? We talked about this. Y'all should be answering me right now. What do you do next? The original monuments come up missing. Uh, the footsteps have faded. What do you do next? You turn to the next best available evidence. These are just this is these are the rules of retracement. Original monuments called out in the deed, and set out on the ground by an original surveyor. That's the highest and best evidence of the location of the property boundaries. Um, but when those come up missing, what's next? Well, generally what's next is, um, is occupation, because the presumption would be that the occupation was built uh, and the improvements were put in, uh, especially if they're old improvements, old fences, old occupation were put in at a a time uh, in in history when the monuments were actually in the ground. Next best available evidence. And also, we can't forget about talking to Old Timer if Old Timer's available. Excuse me. All right. Next uh Next head none. Discovery of the original monument itself is not necessary, since many types of evidence can be resorted to that will suffice as proof of the original location. All right, they're just reiterating what we, what we just talked about here. <clears throat> it's not necessarily, uh, it's not necessary, um, necessarily, to find um, to find the original monuments uh, as they were laid out by the original subdividing surveyor because there are many types of evidence. Remember, you're obligated, Montana Supreme Court says, you're obligated to look at any and all kinds of evidence when doing retracement surveying. Alright, now we're getting into the priority of calls. We we're, should be familiar with the priority of calls. they They're simply rules of construction. Rules <clears throat> to help with the construction uh, and interpretation of the deed, or really any written document, the rules of construction apply to any written document. They uh, apply to, to deeds and the legal descriptions in deeds. They also apply to contracts. They apply to legislation. They, uh, they apply to affidavits. They apply to all kinds of written documents. <clears throat> we should uh, at least be somewhat familiar with the rules of construction. Well, what we what we call the priority of calls, We, the land surveying community. You should be familiar with that term, the priority of calls. They're simply rules for construing uh, deeds that are ambiguous, confusing. Um, that's why you turn to the rules of construction. That the deed, the language in the deed, can't be interpreted clearly, or maybe it can be interpreted clearly. But when you go to the ground, uh, there's uh, there's um, all kinds of confusion and ambiguity. A perfect example is we're going to we're surveying the. Uh, Southwest quarter of the northeast quarter, section township and range. Perfectly unambiguous. Till you go to the field, the southwest quarter, or quarter of the northeast quarter implicates the center quarter of a section. And if you're a survey, everybody, it, it, that's the most, the, the most confused corner in all of, um, in, in all of, uh, 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 surveying practice. The most confused corner in all of surveying practice. You could go out there, and find five monuments in the ground, all ostensibly representing the center quarter, the center of a section. Okay, so now you've got ambiguity on your hands. So now we've got to go to the priority of cause. <clears throat> the priority of cause and description of property was developed through case law in the 1800s. It goes back even further than that. And also governed by statutory law. The general hierarchy is as follows. Now, th- this rule is universal in all states. Uh, it's a universal rule, but it isn't applied universally, if that makes any sense. Every, uh, every state recognizes some, some order of priority of cause, yet they might not be in the same exact order that we're going to get here. Lines actually run on the ground by creating, by the creating surveyor prevail over natural monuments, for example, a tree which prevail over artificial monuments, for example, Surveyor State, which prevail over references to adjoining boundaries, for example, quote, to Hunter's property line, which prevail over direction, northwest, which prevail over distances, for example, 30 feet, which prevails over area, for example, five acres, which prevails over place names. <clears throat> the rules grew out of a peculiar exigency of the country and were molded by experience to meet the demands of justice. The rules are found uh, are founded on reason, experience, observation, and pertain not to the admissibility but to the weight of the evidence. That's what you call weighing the evidence. You're weighing the evidence. So those should be somewhat familiar to you. Uh, that's pretty much a, uh, that's pretty much a, um, uh, uh, generic list of the priority of calls. Um, not, now I've seen it in other states, they don't, they don't all start out with lines actually run on the ground by the creating surveyor, prevail over natural monuments, but <clears throat> it, it does in Montana. And calls for adjoiners are often, uh, Left out of the priority of calls in some jurisdiction. In other jurisdictions like North Carolina, they uh, call for an adjoiner was, is elevated. I think it's the Smothers case. Um, <clears throat> uh, elevated, um, uh, the, uh, North Carolina law elevates call for an adjoiner to a, a type of natural monument. So if you got a call to an adjoiner, I mean if you have a call to a river, a natural monument, what do you gotta do? You gotta locate the river. Well in North Carolina, if you got a call to a adjoiner, what are you gonna to have to do? Well you may have to survey the adjoiner's property in order to determine where your boundary line is. Alright, so those are basic the priority of calls are basic rules for construing deeds. Any natural object, when called for distinctly and satisfactorily satisfactorily proved <clears throat> and the more prominent and permanent the object, the more controlling as a locator, becomes a landmark not to be rejected because uh, because the certainty which it affords excludes the probability of mistake, whereas course and distance, depending on their- cor- uh, correctness on a great variety of circumstances are. Constantly liable to be incorrect. Now, the court's gonna—we're we're coming up uh, to the end of the show. The court's gonna talk about. Uh, uh, I'm not gonna read most of this. They talk about how th- this isn't fixed. Okay, the priority of cause is not set in stone. There can be other things that come in and, and elevate uh, elevate certain calls to you know being uh, being uh, more prominent. For instance, an exact acreage uh one acre track in the southeast quarter a corner of the uh southeast quarter of the northwest corner. Um acreage now is paramount. One acre track. Or if you're selling by the square foot and they want um they want fifteen hundred square feet uh in this deed precise fifteen hundred yeah fifteen hundred square feet, maybe with a few uh, decimals behind that um that can elevate uh, acreage to actually um, uh, a greater priority than some of the other calls all right let's talk to the re- retracement here real quick if in conducting a retracement surveyor uh, uh, sur- uh, uh, retracement the surveyor encounters possibly conflicting interpretations of the evidence indicated and then recovered preference should be towards that decision which best fits the majority of the recovered evidence. In other words, the decision that has the fewest number of conflicting elements. Right there, they're telling you, the Montana Supreme Court is telling you how to weigh the evidence. Let me read that again. If in conducting a retracement, the surveyor encounters possibly conflicting interpretations of the evidence, indicated and then recovered, uh, preference should be towards That decision which best fits the majority of the recovered evidence. In other words, the decision that has the fewest number of conflicting elements. Out there, they just told you. They told you how to, the Montana Supreme Court, talking to surveyors directly in this opinion. But unless you read this opinion, you're never going to hear their words telling you how to resolve um, uh, conflicting evidence. Right there, and what are they simply doing? The greater weight of the evidence. The greater weight of the evidence. That's The preponderance of the evidence is what's going to win uh, at the trial court level. Okay, uh, we'll see you next week, folks. Um, have a good day you listening to America's Web Radio on the
0: AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.